Amigo the Devil is a pretty unique songwriter. His songs are hard to pin down, both sonically and lyrically. He calls his sound dark folk, which is pretty accurate, but it's more than that. He draws on various influences to create a sonic landscape that is sparse and intriguing. His lyrics often focus on heavy issues of death, religion, even ethics. In the end, his songwriting is fascinating and leaves you thinking about things long after the song is over. I had a chance to chat with him about his new album, Born Against. I hope you dig it. Okay, well, I, I wanted to, to start off chatting a little bit about the uh, the general sound of your music, and I don't really ask this question too often, but um, you have such a unique sound. Um, I'm interested in, in how you describe your music. Well, first off, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's definitely been trying to figure out how to answer this question in general. Um, I, I feel like the the core of it, when you when you strip everything back, the genuine root of everything that I do is based in storytelling. Whether it's linear or metaphorical, it, it is all storytelling. So with that in mind, I, I do kind of play along with the folk aspect, since folk music is traditionally just storytelling. Um, even though it doesn't sonically represent what people know as folk music nowadays, it is rooted in that same tradition. So, um, it's anytime somebody asks me like, Oh, you know, what do you do? Music, what kind of music? I always end up saying dark folk, um, which also doesn't represent all of it. It's not all encompassing. And I think that I'm going to struggle to have, this uh, this answer for a long time because we don't really settle on a specific sound in this project. <laughs> and I don't know if it's that good or bad, but it does continue to evolve. And I, and I hope that it continues to evolve. That's kind of the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because there's like, um, there's some songs that are just kind of like straight bluegrass sounding, you know, a strum and banjo kind of thing and other songs that are totally not like that at all. So it's, it is hard to narrow down. Like what exactly is this? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of that way as a person as well. I don't really have <laughs> any singular thing that I enjoy. I'm just a space case and all over the place. <laughs> so I think it makes sense. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I, I like that kind of stuff. You know, it's funny. There's, um, there is a, a genre that, um, uh, that is out there for a definition of murder ballads are a thing. Uh, but not many people know what that means. So using that as a, you know, as a phrase, it would be kind of, kind of confusing as well, you know? Oh yeah. The, the whole murder ballad tradition, I think is, is incredible. And then like all the, the, the gun balladier stuff with Marty Robbins and, and that kind of, it, it just, it's really funny when people ask songs about murder and then you go back to the earliest songs, lyrical songs, and they're all about murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just the, the oldest tradition in lyrical music is, is people dying or sick or miserable or upset. Yeah. So why not? Why not carry that on? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people are making songs about, stuff they were they were struggling with you know they're writing songs about that but then also the opposite end of that then there was like the gospel expression and like the church you know and it was like pie in the sky kind of a deal so it's like they're dealing with it yeah. in two different ways you know trying to wrestle with this really dark stuff they're going through which uh you know yeah, i guess you gotta have uh, that that nice faith to balance everything out 
right. So I, I was interested. Um, there's an artist um, that I um, have, have heard of, and, and your, your sound reminded me of him a little bit. Um, he calls himself the voodoo organist. Are you familiar with him at all? I'm not. Voodoo As, organist. His stuff's still out there. I played. A sh- I used to be in a punk band, and we played the show in Reno years, like 15, 20 years ago. And um, and he, he he was playing at the same place, and um, we we kind of opened for him. He has such a like a unique. It's the the, the keyboard stuff kind of reminded me of it, and so I was just throwing that out there, wondering. I have to check that out. Well, the the song uh, "Murder at the Bingo Hall" um, was an interesting tune to me. I was wondering if you could uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that song. Yeah, I, I it's so funny. I started to read that song for a long time because I had the concept and I had this uh, crime story in mind and how I wanted to write it. And then when I sat down to actually write it, like it worked how I had pictured it in my head, but it was too obvious. Like it was, it was just way too easy and obvious. And I don't like making things easy for myself because I'm generally a dumb person. So I was like, all right, let's just take this all back, scrap it, start over. And it ended up just being a song, not about murder at all. And it made me way happier because it was it's almost like the whole song became a joke within itself for me. Or obviously, if you had listened, if anybody listened to the previous content, they would expect you know murder, death, darkness, whatever. And I was like, nah, let's just let's just write a song about somebody who's just killing it at the bingo hall. That's it. And um, and when we were recording it. I, I did want it to sound very spastic and aggressive, you know? Um, maybe not aggressive, but very, very chase-like, very anxious. And it was fun. It was really, really fun to get that one done. Yeah, that's great. It's like a, a bunch of the songs have a, a twist in them, uh, which is what I, I find so appealing. Like You're listening, you're like, oh, where's this going? Then it kind of is a little juke and a jive. And that one, the sound of it sounds way more ominous than, you know, what it turns out being. And uh, I, I, I love that. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I, I was very nervous about releasing that one. Why is that? Uh, I just, I, I wasn't sure how much uh, gore and guts people were expecting in the actual song. And whether they were going to be disappointed or if they were going to appreciate the, you know, the, the, the slight, the humor in it, essentially. And everybody was very kind about it. So I'm grateful. So, um, the, uh, I'm kind of interesting in, in the songwriting process because you, you, when I listen to the songs and look at the lyrics, um, you, you seem, and you kind of alluded to this earlier too, that it's um, almost like being an author. It's, it's very character driven and it, 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 they feel like small vignettes out of a book. Um, so I'm kind of interested in, in, in your, your songwriting process. Um, I, I feel like it has definitely. So on the first collection of songs, Volume 1, which is basically just EPs I had recorded over years, uh, it was a lot of me putting myself into other characters' shoes and specifically writing the songs from other characters' shoes, right? Which was very interesting to, to just, you know, to pretend to be somebody else and how would they feel, how, how, would, how would they say this? kind of kind of vibe on everything is fine 
I think I shifted. I wanted to shift it to a much more personal perspective. And I injected a lot more of just myself and my experiences and, and my feelings, how I would say it, how I would feel into it. Uh, Born Against was the first time that I realized that I can inject myself into things while still being in a, in a different character's emotive state. So it's almost like the first two records kind of met in the middle. And I'm still writing songs from fictional characters, essentially. But how I would experience being in their position. Um, which I think made it a lot easier to be much more emotive on the recordings. Yeah, you know, uh, "Quiet as a Rat" um, is a, is an interesting song. That's kind of uh, in that, in that you're you're dealing with um, uh, all these 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 topics of different uh, characters. Uh, you're also dealing with ethics and and God and religion, and um, and then also the, the the title of the album is is embedded in there, "Born Against" as well. Um, that song's pretty heavy. It's got a lot of stuff going on in it. Yeah, it, you know, it's really funny. Sonically, we tried to build the biggest sound we could with the least amount of instrumentation. Hmm. So most of the songs only have, I think, uh, I mean, most of them have three instruments-ish. Hmm. Some, you know, have a fourth, a little additional, but Quiet as a Rat is one of those that it is literally, so it's a tuba, the guitar, there's little trumpet frills in the in the little hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the percussion, but aside from that, there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of nuts how big of a sound Quiet as a Rat has for essentially minimal instrumentation. It was like a finger-picking kind of tune on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And it was very slow, and it was... I think like it's long. Right. Um, and to be honest, it just, it didn't make sense for me. We, we kind of played it through and we were working on it. And at home, it was nice because I had all the time in the world at home. Nothing matters. Mm-hmm. And then when we got into the studio, I was like, this, this doesn't do anything for the song. It's just verbal vomit at this point. And so I cut the song down quite a bit lyrically and I picked the the verses that actually mattered for the storyline and we cut off all the excess fat just just trimmed it down and I think it's it's a much heavier song emotionally now because of that there's no fluff what what is your um influence as far as um because I think there there are uh, embedded in the lyrics are, are these um, the, the, the topics of ethics and, and religion and stuff like that. Um, but what are, what are some of your um, uh, inspirations from maybe books or like, where does that come from? Do you read philosophy? Are you a, a big um, avid reader? Yeah. Yeah. I, I read quite a bit. Um, I think on, on the, the faith topic, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to just kind of bubble it down to the faith umbrella. Right. That is a lot more of a personal 
questioning more than anything, not so much literary gotcha. influence. Um, if I'm reading, it's a lot more of like, you know, Cormac McCarthy kind of stuff. Okay. But uh, I'm too easily influenced by things. Like, I'm the person that peer pressure was exists for. <laughs> I'm just the easiest person influence in the world. So right. I realized early on with philosophy and, and deeper topics that actually matter, you know, it doesn't matter what I read. I'm like, oh, shit, that makes sense. Like, that's the one. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I took a philosophy class in college, and I felt the same. Every 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 author I'd read, I felt like, oh, he got it totally figured out. And then I'd read another one. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's just too easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, what made me think of it was um, I'm rewatching Lost, um, you know, the, the television series, and um, yeah. there's a character in there um, they named after a philosopher who's who ended up being one of my favorite philosophers, uh, Jeremy Bentham, and he's the founder of utilitarianism. And um, it like the song that that song, "Quiet as a Rat," especially in the uh, one other one, um, just reminded me of that philosophy. It was it was kind of right in there with that. You know, I I hate to say it because. TV. I watch. Actually, watching a lot of TV. I never saw Lost. That's the one show that slipped away. Oh wow! And by the yeah, by the time I, I finally sat down, it was already you know seven hundred seasons in. Right. And I was overwhelmed, so I was like, I don't know if I can do this now. <laughs> so, so I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm gonna watch it because it's clearly an amazing show. Everyone loves it. Cool. Well, I, I like the song uh, "Drop for Every Hour" as well. I thought it had a, a good twist in it because um, you don't know where the where the character's coming from at first. And uh, I was wondering if you could uh, tell us about that song a little bit. So, um, I wanted to write a song about. So, on every album, I've included a song or two, sometimes more, about a true crime story, essentially, whether it's a serial killer or a cult, whatever it is, some sort of true crime element. And I always wanted to write a song about Albert Fish, who's not a serial killer, but very interesting story in terms of the elements surrounding it. My only problem with it was there were children involved who were harmed, and I don't, that's, I don't like uh, anything related to to children being harmed, right? Mm-hmm. It's a big just no for me. Right. So as interesting as the story was, I couldn't really find an angle to sing it from without just being upset about it and being annoyed by it. And finally, I was like, okay, what if we sing the song from the perspective of the father of Grace Bud, mm-hmm. who's the victim the letter was written about. And instead of the police coming and arresting Fish and all that, what if the father goes and, and, and kidnaps the dude and you know gets his revenge essentially on Albert Fish himself? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could do that. And so it became that kind of revenge-ish song. Um, then the song right after it, Better Ways to Fry Fish, is kind of like the follow-up little appendage hmm. of just a little more detail of the first song. Yeah. And that, that's about 
as deep as I can go without giving away all the all the little knicks and knacks. Well, uh, it, and, uh, the, the other song that really nailed me was um, a "Letter from Death Row." I mean, I got I got weepy at the end of that one listening to it. Um, that was initially going to be one of the songs that got cut from the record. Um, no, no real reason. It just I, I couldn't find a place for it in the actual record. And "Small Stone" was initially supposed to be the last song on the record. So when we were kind of doing the track listing, I was like, I literally can't fit Letter from Death Row anywhere. Um, let's just let's just B-side it or scrap it, whatever. Um, and then finally, the more I listened to it, I was like, you know what? Let's just let's make this weird. Let's put Small Stone first, and then Letter from Death Row fit at the end, just as this kind of like non-closure but somehow still closure kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good bookend uh, to the record. I'm glad you agree because that's another one of those things that I was doubting for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. So. That happens. Well, hey, man, the uh, uh, pandemic has been strange for everybody and uh, shows are slowly starting to open up uh, now, but um, I'm interested in uh, what your plans are for the rest of the year. Do you uh, have any, um, any shows planned for the summer or fall? I'm hoping that we can start announcing shows for the fall. Okay. Um, and uh, to be honest, it seems like we're on a very good trajectory to actually get shows going mm-hmm. in a safe manner again and towards the fall. So I miss playing shows so much. I was sitting there at home the other day and I was just like, I will never complain about a heckler again, I promise. Uh, do, you, do you get to play this area very much? Uh, we do. So we end up in Reno. Okay. Reno's kind of the closest I can think of. I know we've done, not not necessarily in that area, but but Elko. Oh yeah, yeah. That's about four hours from yeah. there, but yeah. Yeah. Where'd you? Uh, I think Re- Reno's the closest. Where'd you play in Elko? Silver Dollar. Oh okay, interesting. I go out there. I mean, it was, it was years ago, but. Right. I, yeah. I go out there in the uh, in the winter time. They have a, a, a the, the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering, and uh, it's an interesting deal they put on out there. Everyone keeps telling me how amazing it is. If you the, like the, the cowboy poetry thing, yeah. If you like Marty Robbins stuff, I think you you dig it out there. It's fascinating. Oh yeah. I'll try to, if they do it this year, I'll try to make it out. Cool, man. Well, um, that's all the questions I had for you. Um, if people want to uh, buy your music and merch and support you and all that, what's the best place they should look? So all the all the DSPs, all the regular Spotify's app music, all of those things we you know we have stuff on there. Um, the merch itself, if you go to amigothedevil dot com, that's kind of the best place to find our official merch. And uh, then all the all the regular downloadable things. Um, if you prefer, you know, brick and mortar, just go to your record store and. Ask them for the record, and hopefully we get some out to them. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, connecting with me today and chatting about the album. I, I I love it. I think it's a good good piece of work. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks to Amigo the Devil for chatting with me about these songs. Make sure to check out his music wherever you stream it, and visit his site, buy some merch. And thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time.